Last week, I had the opportunity to um, head out of town, which, given the last 15 months, like, to get out of town for any reason is just a great thing right now. And, uh, but I was keynoting at a conference uh, out at Mo Ranch in the Hill Country. If you've never been there before, it's, a, it's an amazing place. And I'd been invited a couple of years ago to keynote at this conference. So it's a men's conference uh, that takes place out there. And, you know, once COVID hit, I just thought it would get canceled like everything else. But the, they contacted me a few months ago and said, you know, when we're seeing with vaccinations and we're seeing with infection rates and we're seeing with uh, how we can structure this and there's still demand there, we're going to get our conference season going again. And we want this to be the first conference. Are you comfortable coming and, uh, and still being a part of it? And I said, absolutely. Um, now, this is sort of an aside, but I wonder if any of you can relate to this. Um, I think one of the things that all of us are going to be dealing with for months to come is realizing the impact that COVID-19 has had on our lives on our emotional lives, our mental lives, our, our spiritual lives. And I had to actually wrestle with this last week. Uh, and I may not be the only one that's gonna run into this or has run into this. I, like many of you, was like, man, when I'm fully vaccinated, when we can start doing stuff again, I'm gonna go do these things. I can't wait to get out. I can't wait to be more active. I can't wait to engage in the habits I did. And the strange part is in the days leading up to the, to the conference, there was a part of me that was like, I don't really wanna go. I'd rather just stay in my pajamas and have another lazy Saturday because Lord knows I haven't had enough of them in the last 14 months. <laughs> it was this strange thing of like, why are you not excited? And you kind of would love it to be canceled. And I couldn't figure that out. But, but I, I, I got there. And I think it's going to be important for us to realize that sort of what, what one author calls languishing, that kind of malaise that has come out of this. And I think it's going to be really important for us to focus on and to really work to build back healthy habits in our life that may take some time, despite what we said we were going to do as soon as we were able to. But I went and it was a really, really wonderful experience. I'm so glad that I got to be there. Now, one of the things that happened at, when you keynote at a conference is that your, your schedule looks really different. And it's a, it's a funny rhythm. It took me a while, the first time I ever spoke at something, to get used to it. Because the conference is sort of built around these large gathering moments. And your keynote is often like a... a, a a key part of that. And, um, and so you have these things where they, they show up, but you have no logistical responsibilities, which is awesome. When people want to come up and cl complain about the mask policy, it's like, I don't have to listen to that for one week because I don't work here. I'm just speaking. I'm not dealing with any of that stuff right now. And so they kind of came and, and, and they're just like, hey, show up at this time and, and speak when, when you're supposed to. And then afterwards, you don't have anything to do until you speak again. You've got like eight hours free, uh, and, and, which is so different. Um, now, you have to get ready for the next talk. But one of the really beautiful parts of that free time is that you're really able to interact with the people at the conference around, often, what you'd talked about before. So at the end of like one of the talks, the first one, for example, on Friday night, uh, when it ended and, and the gathering time ended, I, I walked off the, the stage and, and, you know, and people come up and they start talking to you. They want to like uh, talk about what you should have said differently or they talk about what they liked about it. Or they had questions for you. And I love it. I mean, I just love the interaction because they're like, well, I know, you know, I know you're in a hurry. You're like, I'm actually not. I, I have no responsibilities here until tomorrow. So like you can just talk about it. And the first night, I had this, this kind of line of people that were talking to me, and it was great. And then there was this young guy 
And he was kind of walking back. He looked like he was unsure about whether to join the line and have a conversation. And he kind of sat there and then he kind of went back and then he kind of came back and you could tell he didn't, wasn't sure if he really wanted to be there. I noticed him. And, and yet the line of people kind of took too long and I think he kind of lost his nerve and, and in the end he went away. But I was thinking about him that night. I noticed him. And I was like, I wonder what that was that, that, he, that he wanted to talk about. But he, was, he just seemed uncomfortable about it. The next day, my second talk, when it ended, the line formed again, and I noticed the same young guy kind of hovering and everything else. And so I wanted, I really felt like I was supposed to kind of engage with this guy. So I kind of moved through the line a little bit quicker, more deliberately, and got to him and said, hey, you know, I saw you last night. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? Uh, everything. And, and the conversation we had that then lasted for about 24 hours was wonderful. And it's going to be the outline. What we talked about is going to be the outline for what we're going to talk about in this sermon today. And, and he knows that. I got his permission. Uh, we're going to call him Jim. But Jim told me, he said, he said that uh, I am at this conference. He said, what's weird is I don't go to church. But a friend of mine does and invited me to come to this conference. And I was so excited to go to the Hill Country. And honestly, just to be out of my house for a little while, that I just signed up to go. And he said, but I, I liked what you talked about. And, um, but as someone who, who doesn't necessarily believe any of this, I, he said, I want to take some time to tell you what my spiritual belief is, how I think about myself and God. And then I'd like to hear what's similar about that and different from what you're saying. I was like, that's awesome. That's great. Tell me what you think. Now, what he said is what many more people in our culture and, and probably even within this church, we all think this way to a certain degree or another. And we probably think this way maybe even more than we think from like a really biblical, orthodox place of how we relate to God. Here's what he said. He said, here's how I describe my relationship with God. He said, I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm not a hardened criminal. I haven't gone to jail for anything like really bad. I think I'm a pretty good person. And so I kind of feel like God and I are probably okay. And if God and I are okay, I don't really need to be a part of a church and wake up early on Sunday morning to like engage in this thing. And that's sort of what I see. And, and, I, and I told him, and I really meant this, I was like, man, thank you for being honest with me. Thank you for engaging. And thanks for wanting to come talk about this. Thanks for not just dismissing what I'm saying and going off and, and, and on your own and, and not thinking about it. Thank you for wanting to engage in this. And, uh, and what I wanted to affirm to him and, and what I think is, is that that thinking is very understandable because that mindset, and again, many of us have elements of it at least, even in our spiritual life, that mindset is how our culture works in almost every aspect of our life, right? Like if, if, if you have a, a child or a grandchild or if you're a student uh, and you're going to be thinking about going to college someday, well, it's like the question you got to ask is, well, if I want to get into this college, how good is good enough to get in there? And I'm going to work hard and like everyone else, I sort of know where I stack up in my class ranks and what percentage my uh, SAT or ACT scores are. And, and I'm kind of notice that. And if I can clear the bar, then I'm okay and I get in right? Or if you want to get a promotion at work uh, because you want a pay raise or you're, you're kind of tired of what you're doing, you look at your other co-workers and, and you're like, well, I'm going to apply for this and, and this is how good I think I need to be. And if I can clear that bar and be good enough, don't have to be perfect, but if I'm good enough compared to other people, especially, then it's going to probably work out pretty well for me. We even do that in the church. 
We've had people, for example, who I know who have joined churches I've been a part of, and it's like, hey, I really want to raise my kids in the church because I want them to be good moral people. Well, just to be clear, I do too. I want them to be good moral people, and I want my own children to be good moral people, and I think that being in a church is a wonderful gift to know what it means to live, a, to be a good and, and moral person. I think it can help you on that journey. But it's also really important to say, that's not the core of what we're about. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not, if you come here, we can give you enough rules so that you become a good rule-following person. And he said, well, then how do you define That's how I, he said, I describe my spiritual life that way. I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm not a hardened criminal. And so I think God and I are basically okay. I assume we are. He said, how do you describe what it means for you in your relationship and connection with God? And I said, well, for me, I am a sinner, loved by God, saved by grace. He said, I do not agree with that. I was like, awesome. <laughs> Let the games begin. <laughs> and it was great. It was great. I loved it. Now, where does that mindset come from? I am a sinner, loved by God, saved by grace. That's what we're talking about today in our, our Foundations teaching series, uh, which is being guided as we walk our way through the Apostles' Creed, this earliest creed of the church that lays out the foundations of what we believe. And today we're in our third to last week in the series, and we're dealing with the phrase at the very end, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's the part of the creed that we're going to be engaging today. But what I want us to do as a sign of, of what we believe is I want to invite us to actually say now the Apostles' Creed together. And I hope this is something that you've been thinking about. I hope maybe as a small group, as a family, you've been pondering the Apostles' Creed through this series, maybe learning it, memorizing it. But it's going to come up here. It's in your bulletins or uh, going to come up on the screens. And let's state together, let's say it together, what it is we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So again, the part we're dealing with today is that phrase near the end, I believe, we've just said, in the forgiveness of sins. Now, the scripture that's going to guide us comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. And I'm going to read that. And I invite you just to kind of take this in and to sit with God's word to us today. Paul writes this. But now, he says, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we pray that no matter who we are, how we walk in here, or how we even approach this question, that you would speak to us all and that you would form our minds and our hearts and our souls and our lives around what is true and real and good. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in my conversation with Jim, uh, our, our, our thoughts about this kind of, uh, we agreed, sort of rested in two categories. The first category that we need to talk about when it comes to our relationship with God and how we think about it is that we need to talk about ourselves. What does it mean to be human? Uh, do we have a common understanding of what it means to be a human being? And the second thing and category we needed to talk about is, and how do we think about God? How do, we, how do we understand who God is and what God is about? And, and then if we could understand that first category, what does it mean to be human? And the second category, how do we think about God? Then we get to the connection, the relationship. Okay, does that make sense? So we're going to talk about them both, just like Jim and I did. The first one is, how do we think about what it means to be human? And what I learned is, and what Jim and I discovered is, we basically believe the exact same thing. We just have different language. We have different words. We have different terms for it. His thing was, I think I'm a pretty good person. And I was like, well, how good are you? He's like, well, I think I'm pretty good. And I was like, really? Like, what does that mean? You think you're pretty good? He's like, well, like I said, I'm not a hardened criminal. I haven't been to jail. And I said, so how good are you? Like, really? Like, how good? He goes, well, I'm not perfect. I said, exactly. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? We're doing our best and everything else, but, 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 um, but we're not perfect. I said, we're saying the same thing about what it means to be human. When I say that I'm a, sin, a sinner... Loved by God, saved by grace. When I say I'm a sinner, that means that I'm not a perfect person either. And he's like, yeah, but I don't like that term. I don't like that word. It, like, it, it feels like a weapon being like used to like, label me. And it feels like it's something that means like there's nothing good about you. And there's everything bad about you. And you can't do anything good. He said, I do some good stuff. He's like, I can be a really nice guy. I can be generous. I can be kind. I can be forgiving. I can be loving. I said, exactly, man. So can I. I said, the problem is the consistency, right? He's like, well, I'm not perfect. I said, for me, the way I think about being a sinner is that I can be capable of moments of great kindness, great patience, great understanding, great generosity. I am capable of that. I am also capable of incredible selfishness and incredible pettiness and incredible childishness when I don't get my ways. And I'm capable of doing all of that in the span of 17 seconds. And I'm capable of doing it with the same people. I can be amazingly patient with my children and then something is said and I become incredibly short with them for, for no reason other than I just got impatient. He goes, that's what I'm like. I was like, exactly, you're a sinner. He said, no, I'm not. I don't like that word. And I said, yeah, but, but, but it, like, do, do you mean it the same way? Is what you're saying that you're pretty good but not perfect? Do, do we agree with what we're saying? He said, yes. I said, then say it, man. Say it because it's true. Just, just name it. It's going to be liberating. It's going to be good. Just let's use the same language. He said, you're a sinner. And I said, I am. But... <laughs> But join me over here in that we've agreed we're naming the same thing, brother. Just say it. And he goes, according to the definition you've given me, I can agree that by that definition and that definition only I'm agreeing to that I could call myself a sinner. 
Hallelujah. I was like, we're on the same page. This is great. And he, and he didn't even have to change necessarily his worldview. It was just the language we were using. Is that he was like, you know, I'm just not a perfect person. It's like, neither am I. Welcome to the club. So the first of the two categories, we're in total agreement on. It's the second one that we see really differently, which is how do we understand God? And what I was hoping that Jim could come to see is how big and enormous and powerful the love of God is. Because God is somebody that sits there and, and, and is not someone that just goes, oh my gosh, you're a pretty good person and thanks for trying your best and thanks for being better sometimes and other times and I'm not gonna worry about the bad times as long as the good times sort of outweigh the bad times and, and, and that's like what I'm hoping and I'm grading this whole thing on a curve and so don't really worry about it. It really is about how you compare to other people. You're not a hardened criminal and as long as you stay not a hardened criminal, then let's just agree you're a good person. When you stop and think about it, that is a God whose love is not worth following. Even before you get to the idea of what Christianity is about. Because it minimizes pain and harm, and it, and it allows people who have experienced harm through sin to be re-harmed. Jill, in her confession today, invited us to think about sin as uh, it's through kind of that lens of harm. When we sin, if you stop and think about this, when we sin, there's a sense of thinking that we kind of harm other people. When I am impatient with my children for no reason except I'm not in a good mood, there's a degree of harm that I inflict upon them. Does that make sense? There's a degree of harm. Now, am I going to go to jail for that? Am I going to be a hardened criminal by it? No. Would our justice system come down on me? No. But that doesn't remove the fact that to my children in that moment, there's a degree of harm. When people sin and their sin tears me down or harms me, that has an impact. And what I want you to know is when you and I are harmed or when we harm other people, God's love for us is so big that what God doesn't do is just like, yeah, we'll just, you know, it's not a huge sin and I know it kind of hurt, but it could have been a lot worse. So just be grateful it wasn't worse than that. Let's just sweep it under the carpet and let's just move along and everyone get along. God's love is far stronger for the harm that sin does than that. You re-victimize the victim if you just say, I know it hurt, but it wasn't a bad hurt, so just get over it. At the beginning of the service, I asked you to think about certain women in your life who had shaped and formed you. And I bet some of those women loved us, loved us well. One of the women that I have been thinking about this week is my maternal grandmother, whose name was Mary Gellerstedt. Now, I am the oldest of the Gellerstedt grandchildren. There are nine of us now. And so my grandmother was a really tough person. Like, a, a really, she was a strong, tough person. And she was not ready. I know some people are like, oh, I'm so ready to be a grandparent. She was not. And she didn't want to be called granny or grandma or anything else because she was too vibrant and too young for that. So she wanted me to call her Mary, like everyone else did, and because I was the oldest grandchild. And the best I could get out at a young age was Mamie. And so Mamie is what she became to all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren after that. Mamie passed away last December. 
after an illness. And so my family, like some of yours, has had to go through what it means to lose somebody in the middle of what was uh, the huge COVID surge and spike, and we haven't been able to gather in the ways that we normally would have to remember and give thanks and be together and celebrate her life. I've been thinking about her as this will be the first Mother's Day that I won't call her, uh, as I usually did year after year. And I've been thinking about that kind of love. She is someone who shaped me in all kinds of ways. Now, she was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. She was like the toughest person I knew, right? She could be a minority of one, and you could say 99% of people disagree with you in that, and she would just look at you point blank. It's like, well, 99% of people are dead wrong. And she like, didn't hesitate in that, right? She was someone who looked at me multiple times when I was little, and she was like, I might not always like what you do, and when I don't like it, I'm going to tell you and let you know about it, but I will always love you. And there was an intensity to both of those parts. And over the course of her life, she did multiple times look at me and let me know when she did not like or agree with what I was doing, and there was no gray area where you wondered where you stood, but there was also never a time where you wondered if the ferocity of her love was constant and just as strong. I was thinking this week about a time uh, when I was about 10 years old. And one of the traditions we had in our family with Mamie is that she would always take us clothes shopping for the beginning of school, which I'm sure was a gift to my parents. I had two younger brothers. To buy clothes for three boys was, uh, you know, a chaotic experience in the store, much less the expenses. So every, like, end of summer, my grandmother would take us all shopping. She'd get all three of us in the car, we'd go shopping, and we would buy clothes for the school year. Well, this one year when I'm 10, we go into the store that we normally went to, and obviously lots of people had been shopping, and supplies were really limited. And so Mamie was like intent on us getting the clothes we needed to get. So she put me as the oldest in front of the shelf that had the clothes of what was remaining for my size, and then she said, you go through what you want to get, and I'm going to get your brother set up, and then I'll come back and you're like, let me see what you've gotten and what you want and everything else. And so I'm there trying to go through these clothes, and all of a sudden, this lady came up and like stood next to me and she had a little boy about my age and she was obviously realizing that the stock was pretty limited and so she kind of positioned him next to me and then in front of me and she didn't push me necessarily but she kind of eased me out of the way and said to her son you look at what you need to get and make certain that you get it before it's gone I kind of backed up feeling not certain what to do when I heard a voice in the store that said, excuse me. And my grandmother, when I turned around, was like shot out of a cannon coming across the store at this lady. And the shopkeepers were coming around and I grabbed her hand. I'm like, Mamie, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Like, don't worry about it. And she had this look and she looked at me and she said, it is a big deal. And she got like about five inches from this lady's face and she said, my grandson was here first and a tumbleweed went by (laughs) and this lady looked at my grandmother and everything in Mamie's being was something's going to happen to make this right and this lady goes you're right and I'm sorry there's two things that I remember feeling in that moment Number one, I was mortified and embarrassed at what had happened. (laughs) But number two, I felt so important. Because my grandmother thought and loved me enough 
that even this little harm, and this lady wasn't going to go to jail, she wasn't a hardened criminal, but it was a harm inflicted on her grandchild, and somebody was going to make it right. That's a ferocity of loving somebody. And that is what I believe it means when we talk about God's love for you and for me. That when we are harmed because sin exists in the world, even if it's not the hardened criminal kind of harm that's done to us, when I cut my eyes and am impatient with my kids, there is a harm done there. And that there is a God who loves them enough that even if they're going, just let it go, it's not a big deal. It's like, no, this is going to be made right. There's a ferocity to that love. And when you are one who's been harmed knowing that God loves you with that kind of power and that kind of might, you feel so important and so amazing and so great that God cares that much. And then you have to sit with the uncomfortable thing of, but I also harm people. And that same intensity is then directed at me. And then we want to sit there and go, yeah, but sometimes the reason I hurt is because I've been hurt. And so whose fault is it really? And what does that mean? And what you realize when you really stare at that moment and take the love of God seriously, what falls apart in your mouth is, yeah, but I'm a pretty good person. I'm not a hardened criminal. Don't you grade on a curve here? Why are you taking this so seriously? No, from love, it's taken seriously. And when you wonder, like, how does this thread get unraveled? Because I am both harming and being harmed in this broken world all the time, is where Paul writes in Romans 3 that a gift is given, he says in verse 24. A gift is given. And that what God's loving response is to that is to send Jesus into the world who lives and is an example of love. And on the cross, God takes all of that stuff in God that says someone's going to make this right and pours all of that out on God's self. And that then God sits as we behold the wonder and love and horror of the cross, realizing that in our most honest moments, the cross is both done for us and also done because of us. And God looks at us and says, you are free. That's the difference in these worldviews is that for Jim, there's still not a sense enough of God that he's focused on himself and what do I gotta do to be good enough and how do I compare and he's still the center of that story. For people who understand the doctrine of the forgiveness of sins, we're not any longer spending all of our time worrying about what we do and how it compares. We are overwhelmed with the beauty of what God has done. And so the most glorious statement that we can about utter in our lives is who am I? I am a sinner, ferociously loved by God and saved by his amazing grace. Hallelujah and amen. Let's pray. Lord God, may your love wash over us all today and Fill us with a sense of just how important we are. We thank you for this love and the transformation that is offered through your grace and through the cross. We pray that that love would be cemented in our hearts this day and always, this truth of your amazing grace.
And we pray this in the name of the gift that was given, Jesus Christ. Amen.